My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host. Wait, how do I normally you start are. the show? I hate when this happens. You are Eric Italian. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at comicbook.com. We're also joined by our buddy, Brandon Katz, who you could find analyzing analytics, numbers, math, digits, growth over at Parrot Analytics. Uh, What's going on, boys? How is your weekend? I saw Shazam 2 and Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Uh, One of them was good. Take a guess which one it was. It was my boy, uh, Jonathan Goldstein and Francis Daly. Yes. Dragons, right? Yes, it was great. I mean, I don't have any connection to Dungeons and Dragons and never played it or anything like that. Uh, And I I thought the marketing for that movie was like, uh, it looks like it's going to be really like overly tongue in cheek. Um, But the movie's not making fun of Dungeons and Dragons as far as I can tell. And it's just like a fun time. Shockingly emotional as well. Was not expecting to get a little little uh they don't play up that aspect of it at all in Mm -mm. the trailers marketing's Mm -mm. awful but because we know film nerds know like oh these guys did game night a couple other things that were really good they're like you know i have trust in the in the in the execution and i want to see it but the trailers have been dreadful yeah it's it's bizarre and then the other movie that also has terrible marketing is shazam 2 uh which uh like the first like third of that movie is actually pretty good. Like I was like, oh, is this going to, am I going to like this? And it's like, it's focusing on like the whole family is just like saving people from, you know, normal superhero antics and going to high school and doing their school stuff and getting into teen romance and stuff. And like all that stuff's really cute and well done. And then the bad guys get introduced and you're just like, oh, this just got so boring and so generic so fucking fast. And then it just never really comes back around outside of a couple moments with Asher Angel, the kid who plays young Billy Batson, who is great and is only in the movie for like five minutes. Uh, Zachary Levi has way too much screen time in this movie. Uh, it's just, I don't understand. B, did you see Creed 3 this weekend or was that last? I, yeah, I saw Creed 3 and I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, that really strong, I think, uh, directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan. Not a perfect movie, of course, definitely some nitpicks, but man, Creed franchise, just rock mm. solid. Also, it Jonathan Majors has such presence in everything. Yeah, what Scary a run that guy's on. I, I have not paid for my own theater ticket, I think, since everything, everywhere, all at once. I think I may do it again uh, for John Wick 4, though, because it was that fucking sick, and I think I need nice. to see it twice to really sort of soak in the madness. But this weekend, I actually saw an off-Broadway play, Stranger Sings, which was like a Stranger <laughs> Things parody for like adults and it was actually a great fucking time so if you're in the new york city area be sure to check that out all right as we get started today we're going to start off with a little bit of news and we are going to talk about the mandalorian and what the hell is going on with that once proud show we're then going to be having our keanu reeves movie draft in honor of john wick chapter four which releases on friday and then to close out the show i interviewed the male cast of yellow jackets we've got Warren Cole, who plays Jeff, the husband. We've got Steven Kruger, who plays Coach Ben. And then we've got Kevin Alves, who plays Travis. All right, start the news this week. Zachary Levi, star of Shazam and Chuck, reposted the Raps report about... Hey, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. I love um, that. Well played. B just tried to say hi to his girlfriend off screen, but I'm too quick for him. I'm too sharp. <laughs> 
<laughs> well played. Zachary Levi reposted the Raps report about, and this is just like, I thought we already knew this. Like, I thought that we already knew that The Rock had no interest in crossing over with Shazam, and it's been like a long-running thing. I didn't know it was quite this bad. Like, I, I just, I didn't know that he could even have the power to be like, no, you cannot cross over with me. Like, outright tell them. It's not just kind of like a, oh, I don't, I don't really want to. It's not my direction. It's just like, oh, you want to? Fuck off. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Here's what, I, here's what I think is going severely missed in the whole Rock attempted DC takeover thing. <laughs> It's not as if he tried to launch a coup against like an established firm, right? There was a power vacuum with no one in control. So someone as business sense forward as The Rock, who had never and had likely passed up multiple offers to put on a cape, saw a chance and said, you know what? I'm going to fucking take my house. Do I agree with sort of the logic of it and like the long-term planning of it? Not really, but do I understand like the business point of view? Like, are we going to sit here and pretend that 75% 75% of the DCU fandom wasn't begging for official confirmation that that Cavill was back for years. Right. So he pulls that off, right? But now since Black Adam was mid, Shazam is mid, the DCEU is dead, the DCU is coming in, for some reason, Warner Bros. is still trying to save face and still trying to find a scapegoat and pony off the blame to somebody else. And I feel like they're attempting to ride the wave that is sort of the turning cultural tide against The Rock. Like, similar to, like, Forrest Gump, it's almost, like, cool to hate on The Rock now. And I just don't understand why they feel the need to, like, read... Assuming that the studio sources were, like, well-placed, legitimate, planned-out sources, why they would feel the need to, like, redredge up Black Adam once Shazam is already dead. It's on track to make less than Morbius, which is a fucking outright disaster and the rock is at the bottom of the list of reasons why that's going down so for levi who like i find it hysterical how and look you can feel however you want about the vax i have that's fine but what you need to do is have a backbone at all times so levi only spoke up about the vaccine about the way he feels about the vaccine basically when he had nothing else to lose he was like all right now i'm gonna take my stand and now he has had multiple years to voice creative concerns about shazam 2 and black adam and all that shit said nothing because he knows that he is especially compared to the rock irrelevant but now that the fucking body is dead and it's finally starting to get cold he's like oh all right i'm gonna chirp at him and i just I find the whole thing sort of emblematic of what was wrong with the DCU uh, at large. And that is just sort of a rotten culture at its heart. And I'm hoping that James Gunn in a very like collaborative filmmaking style that he apparently seems to have and how his cast always seem to love him will remedy that. And with the end result being that as simple as this might seem, the entire franchise being on the same page. Yeah, the the reason Shazam 2 failed is not because there wasn't a Black Adam uh, adjacent post-credit scene, right? Like they weren't going to market that, or if they did, it was it's at the very end. You've already co- you're not there for that. So it's not the reason the movie failed. Um, I think there's 500 different reasons why that movie just didn't do anything. Uh, one, I think people are a little just tired. People are um, not terribly interested in Shazam uh, and a variety of things. Um, but it, it is just kind of weird that the rock had that much control to veto another movie. You know, like you said, there was like a, there was no one really in charge. Like there were some suits, but like nobody who was really overseeing the direction of DC. And he kind of came in and was like, all right, 
we want Superman here. We want Superman in our movie, which means he needs to be part of the future. So I'm going to create a space for him. And I say it all blew up in his face, but the, this fucking universe is so crazy to me that The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, former WWE wrestler can come in and be like, all right, my turn. <laughs> it's just crazy. Well, you know, you can't really blame Warner Bros. for trying to hitch the DC wagon to him at the time. There was a point, and B had pointed this out to him, or it pointed out in some way. There was a time where that guy was a walking $500 million yeah. film at all times. Right, yeah. Brandon? Or Yeah, I mean, that guy really added a lot of star power and a lot of uh, butts and seats appeal to a lot of existing franchise and was opening some decent movies to some some decent sized uh, profits. But my whole thing with this entire topic is like, okay, we know Black Adam's not getting a sequel, not part of the DCU. Long before the first mediocre trailer for Shazam 2 came out, we could have probably guessed Shazam wouldn't be in, you know, the DCU. Like it's dead and buried. And I I don't understand why there's so much oxygen around like, oh, but then this person did this and that person. None of it matters. None of it's moving (laughs) forward. It does. I don't care. And I don't think it should be as big of a story as it is personally. Also bad look by uh, by Levi to like repost it. I'm like, cool, dude. You know, let, let the press speak for you. You don't need that. That's like celebrity one Oh one. You don't need to step in and be like, Oh, you guys see this. Yeah. Retweet. <laughs> uh, all right. On that note, let's move on. Mandalorian. We haven't talked about the show since chapter 18. That means we'll be vaguely discussing chapters 19 and 20, but look, I want to start off by saying this podcast was somewhat established on Mando recaps. We used to really dive in. We, I, I mean, this show was the cultural, Zeitgeist. Granted, it was during 2020, so I think there was an right B. Was it 2020? It yeah, launched, it was, uh, November 2019, and I think it finished because it was eight episodes. Oh, because didn't we launch the podcast during COVID? No, we launched it uh, 20 oh, right uh, before. Yeah, could be or the August for DC Fandom. So did we miss the first? That would season? be 2020 because yeah, we missed the first season. Then we launched it after the first season. So yeah, it must have been season two. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because remember, we did it leading into DC Fandom. Eric is questioning the origins of this podcast. <laughs> Who am like, I? Where, like where every am I? franchise no, no, no. now, because DC we've retconned our origins. DC Fandom was held in June 2020. Then, then we launched it uh, leading and, in. And the first season of Mando was uh, November 2019 because it launched with Disney+. Plus. So we, we must have covered season two. Okay. All right. Whatever you guys say. (laughs) (laughs) But we used to really dive in. And what has happened to this show? What has happened to sort of the Star Wars television product in general? I think excluding Andor, if you just look at it in the context of Obi-Wan, which I personally loved. I feel like the general consensus among Star Wars fans out there is that they don't love it. I loved it. But if you look at... liked it, didn't love it. Okay. Cade? Which one? Obi-Wan? Yeah. I know what podcast he's on. (laughs) I I I uh I enjoyed parts of it. Yeah, well said. So where it's just gone from Booka Boba to Mando season three, which I did something I've never done before in the history of the show. I didn't watch an episode until a week later. So if that's not a sign of just like pure passion attrition, I'm not sure what is. And so instead of this being a Mandalorian 
breakdown. This is going to be sort of a therapy session to discuss like how we feel about the show, what we think is going wrong, what we think may be going wrong with the Disney brands in general. So let me just lay some outlines here. Chapter 19 was a large, was almost an hour long, and it was a tangential episode about Dr. Pershing, who I don't think we've seen since season one. He was the doctor who wanted to study Grogu on behalf of Moff Gideon. And to be frank, I did not pay attention whatsoever. I couldn't care less. And all I understood was that he like kind of gets horned up for this chick, but she kind of plays him and sets him up. And then he gets mind flared, which was a shout out to Rogue One, which I guess was kind of cool. And that was it. And then basically the episode was bookended by Mando and Bo-Katan escaping from the living waters and then being reintroduced to the Mandalorian clan. And then episode 20, chapter 20, was a classic sort of Mando adventure, the type of ones that B has long bemoaned where they sort of just defeat some generic villain and don't really progress the plot forward whatsoever. So that's the context of what we're talking about. Just on chapter 19, we used to complain about fillers on this show, which I now feel bad for in hindsight, because this Dr. Pershing thing was a true filler in the sense that I don't think we got any, at least as far as I could tell, like additional key information or context. And all it was was a literal treading device to delay the Mandalorian's reintegration into their clan. Chapter 20 had a bit of sort of that Mandalorian magic. I liked the opening training scene, which had that classic Mando structure of Baby Yoda threatened. Mando teaches him. Baby Yoda grows and then uses his advice, right? That's something that we've seen throughout the entire show, and it's what we love, those two being father-son. And I, of course, enjoyed the Jedi Temple flashback, even though I think it is very cheap that they sort of busted that one out again. So I guess my bottom line is Mandalorian went from being towards the top of my pop cultural pyramid. And now it's become something that not only am I not like eager to watch, but in the context of these past two weeks, like almost dreading having to watch for this podcast. No, I'm the exact same way Um, because I've missed a few of our episodes of recapping and stuff, and I just didn't watch them. I just like with I once I realized like oh shit I, I missed the podcast then fuck it I'm just not gonna watch it until I have to and um so I caught up this past weekend knowing I would be doing this one and then my fucking Disney Plus wouldn't work today so I was like fuck this bullshit yeah. um but you lucked out honestly like it's just like I I for something that I got Disney Plus day one, like subscribed like a month in advance or whatever to get the founder membership, which does nothing at all. And <laughs> and then like I remember gaming the system to get into Disney Plus early so I could watch the first episode like a day before it came out. And I was like, this is great. This is amazing. I can't keep wait to keep watching this. It's everything I want from Star Wars on TV. And that sustained through season two, most of season two. And then now I'm here. I'm just like, I don't know if it's just me, like as a person I've changed and my viewing habits are different. Or if I just really don't give a shit about star Wars anymore uh, for the most part, like just nothing about it is pushing me to log into Disney plus for an hour a day, once a week and, and watch something because I just feel like I'm wasting my time. That's how I, that's not even star Wars. I think it's just a Disney plus problem. Oof. That's that's a scathing indictment right there from <laughs> a genre fan. You're you're yes. their core demographic. Then you, I mean, you guys and kids, uh, us and kids, like nerds and kids. <laughs> but so for someone to feel that, that that's pretty brutal. Uh, I liked episode three more than you, Eric. I liked 
that they were doing a little bit of Andor light in the sense that it was more politically driven. We were taking a look at uh, uh, the everyday like minutia of rebuilding a galactic society and the kind of sketchy morality and the things that people do to survive and, and how it's hard to let go. I actually thought that was pretty interesting. The problem is, number one, it's not executed as well as Andor because John Favreau isn't as good of a, a storyteller as Tony Gilroy, plain and simple. No, no offense to Favreau. Number two, we haven't seen Dr. Pershing, like you said, since basically season one. So I, I was like, this is a really, really weird diversion when, when not a diversion, but a really weird focal point because I don't care about this person at all, even if I find the context of the situation interesting. We'll say I had a dope space battle in the front, though. Um, overall, and I, and I said this in our in our group chat, I I, I don't I'm maybe going to sit back a little bit in this conversation because everyone who listens to this podcast has heard me say time and time again the same things in different ways about the Mandalorian and those central complaints still pretty much exists. And I think, Eric, you know, you, you kind of explained a lot of my frustrations with Mando really well. And I think to add on to that, the behind the scenes drama and false starts for the Star Wars films that never are and never will be of the last four years, the, the kind of false starts and production shutdowns and, and retreads of Obi-Wan during production, all of this compounding uh, uh, drama and things that have kept good product from reaching their ceiling has really diminished my Star Wars love. Now, Andor is amazing. Like I said, and enjoyed Obi-Wan, but Book of Boba Fett, terrible. Mando has never really done it for me, though it goes on like two to three episode stretches every season where I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. So for me, you know, the, I think the biggest Star Wars nerd of, of all of us to be like, guys, I'm kind of kind of over it. Not that I won't be super excited for the Acolyte, which I've been hyping for years, or whenever this movie comes out that is supposed to come out, I'll still be hyped. But I just don't feel the love that I used to. And I, I think it's a really sad day that that could actually happen. How much do you think has to do with the actual product that Star Wars has been putting forth versus what seems to be a general cultural franchise depreciation and sort of fandom wanting what they have to give the mcu is in an obvious tough spot right now mandalorian is probably in its lowest juice point that it's ever been which is the opposite of where you want your show to be going we've got story this week about a mcu exec victoria alonzo stepping down disney plus shows such as loki and secret invasion which were previously teased as coming in 2023 have now been changed to coming soon. So I'm just wondering, are we witnessing in real time, you know, not so much it's death because I think superhero stories will always have a place in film going culture. But I just wonder if we are, you see something like scream six racking up the bucks and then Shazam completely being DOA. I mean, I don't personally think it's like a, a superhero fatigue with the genre. I think quality projects, will still resonate with audience and, you know, generally yield the commercial results necessary to continue that. I, I think it's, for Marvel, I definitely think it's a volume issue, and that has uh, obviously led to quality control issues. And and we've seen now Bob Iger and Mar uh, Kevin Feige both say, essentially, hey, we're cutting back on the amount of product we put in, put in the marketplace to better focus on quality. So they understand it. For Star Wars, I think absolutely it's their 
extreme reluctance to move outside of the Skywalker saga uh, that has held them back because they want to circle the same drain over and over. And after 40 years of different stories that have essentially featured more or less the same exact characters, you're going to get diminishing returns. I think moving outside, experimenting with, with new types of genre amalgamations is a really good start. And I think like something like Star Wars Visions, which isn't huge, but is a nice indicator that there is more creative juice left as long as they're willing to take risks. But because, you know, Rise of the Skywalker ended on such a dour note, and as we've seen with so many Star Wars movies getting shelved, they're trying to be like, it has to be perfect. It has to be the $1 billion, you know, quality uh, film. And like, yes, it does. But that means you got to be, uh, you can't be afraid to take a little risk, make yeah. a little gamble. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, our Keanu Reeves movie draft. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All righty, and we are back for our Keanu Reeves movie draft. John Wick Chapter 4 hits theaters on March 24th. Brandon and I have seen it and loved it. Cade is going to see it this weekend. So we'll Everyone, be please go see it in theaters. It is, it like Truly, please see this one in theaters. The film is projecting to make 115 in its opening weekend, which Global. will be the highest for the franchise globally. Highest for the franchise so far. It currently has the highest Rotten Tomato score of the franchise so far. Just when you think that, oh, is the John Wick steam start to run out? Bang, right in the fucking face. So in honor of that, we are going to be discussing one of our generation's greatest movie stars. I have tried to make the case that I think he is my generation's foremost action star when you look at the fact that he's got Point Break, Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick, which may be the best of them all, is truly... You know, you put those four films against any action star from the last 30 years, and I think Reeves might smoke them. I, I don't even know. Tom Cruise, maybe? It's the closest, but even then, you just look at how it's many just other M. series. M.I., M.I., yeah, M.I., yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. and Top Gun. Like, But, like, yeah, uh, Keanu has found a way to diversify his... And, like, every one of those movies is different than the other. Like, it's not like he's playing... You know, like, Ethan Hunt and, and Jack Reacher are kind of, like, the same-ish, but, like... Uh, Neo, John Wick, uh, the guy from Speed, whose name I don't know, uh, and Point Break, like all very different characters, and he does a great job with all of them. So in preparation for this draft, I, I went through his IMDb credits, and of course I haven't seen every movie he's ever been in, particularly some of the ones in the 80s, which I'll get around to, but I was like, damn, this guy has at least 15 movies over those you know four decades that I, I would be like, damn, I really like that movie. And then I, I went and compared that. I did Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, um, Denzel Washington, Will Smith. And it was Tom Hanks, 25, Tom Cruise, 21, Denzel Washington, 18, Will Smith, 14. And again, my taste will differ from everybody else's. But if you've been in, relatively speaking, at least 10 good movies, then like that's a hell of a career. I think so. I, yeah, the, the consistency there for these guys, incredible. And Keanu just absolutely killing it. Has and someone else uh, originally said this when right around the first John Wick movie, but every like half decade or decade, 
he reinvents himself with another iconic character. Yeah. yeah. That's just, you know, the guy picks pretty good movies and he's just likable. All right. So let's lay down some ground rules first, given the sort of Reeves has got tons of great work, but there are obviously a couple of films that stand out among the rest. So each of us are only allowed to take one John Wick film and one film in the Matrix franchise. We are each going to take four movies, so three Keanu films plus one John Wick, since I'm assuming we're all going to take a John Wick. Let me plug our names in the randomizer. Oh, baby. Boom, we have got your boy at number one. I feel like I never get to go first, ever. So this is exciting. Eric, me, I, at number one, Brandon at number two, and Cade at number three at the turn. So he gets back to back picks. I don't know. I would rather be three Sometimes that is a good good spot to be. Yeah, I would always rather be three than two. Okay, so. Not that age discounts, but Cade, you're like 22. Have you even seen half of Keanu Reeves' movies? Right. I, that I, actually I, reminds me. Kate okay, is actually <laughs> automatically DQ'd from this from having <laughs> never seen Matrix 2. So, B, this is just you and I for this draft. Have you ever seen Matrix 2? I've only seen the first one. Uh, I've seen the first one twice, both in theaters. Dude, I've been giving him shit for this for literally a year. It's really a problem. There are some movies that I like haven't seen that I know are bangers that I'm like I'm waiting until this comes back to theaters one day to watch it and it always They're happens. Never put in Matrix Apocalypse Now, The Matrix, uh, The Departed. No, I saw The Departed before. Uh, Wait, what was the first shit. one, Cade? Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay, okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. But I feel like that's different because Apocalypse Now is one of the defining American films of all time. Matrix, Matrix two, two, you can yeah, fucking yeah. toss on on a Thursday night and have it done. It's, and do on, it, do it's it on FX at three in the morning. <laughs> so, all right. So, and let me be clear with this first pick. This is not so much a statement of what I think is Keanu Reeves' best film or what I think is his number one overall pick, but because I know in my head I am going to land a John Wick film and I will speak to which one I would prefer, but they're basically all the same at this point. And I know that I'm going to end up with a Matrix film for my number one pick in the Keanu Reeves draft. I am taking any guesses? I don't want to say because I don't want to give you ideas. You're right. True. Constantine. <laughs> 2005. I, I, was, I figured you were going to go there. I, I didn't even put it on my list. 2005's like, Constantine. Now, a smarter man, a man who doesn't lose drafts as much as I do, would probably go speed or point break. I think conceptually Point Break is a blast. I think of its era, it's a really fun time, but it is it is technically a 90s film, but in the way that you could look at anything that went down in the 80s and be like, whoa, that is the 80s. Point Break is that. It feels very dated to me. Speed, I think, is a timeless classic, right? They tried to, in the same, like, you know, they tried to recreate Speed in a million different forms. But Constantine is, yes, in the age of sort of the comic book film. And this is why I think that Warner Bros. needs to get this sequel made, regardless of the DC or not, because Reeves is a bigger star than he's ever been. Constantine is what Marvel wishes Doctor Strange could be. And that is really facing the darkness of what these potential supernatural and comic book worlds can open the door towards. And while misunderstood at the time, I think that it is aged beautifully. It looks just as good now as it did then. I think the general cultural opinion on it has grown to the extent where now a sequel is a legitimate conversation. In terms of my own personal taste, this is probably outside of his main two franchises, my favorite film of his. You can't argue to. that. And also, you know, it was obviously on my list. I figured and assumed you would take it before I ever had an opportunity to. 
but I'm, you know, I don't really care about draft value here. I'm going with the, with the obvious one because it's the right one, which should have been the number one overall pick the matrix. Not only is it one of my top five favorite films of all time, because I saw that in theaters, I was seven years old, didn't understand anything that was happening. I just knew my fucking tap had been peeled back. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is awesome. Obviously this movie influenced a generation of action films between bullet time and gun foo that has been copied never never exactly duplicated to that quality ever again uh say what you want about the sequels any movie that spawns three sequels a four film franchise and again say what you want clearly is a seminal kind of blockbuster unification moment uh it's one of the most parodied movies of all time which is how you know also its footprint in pop culture is incredible and frankly it's just so damn good it really was the you know stoner philosophy students blockbuster which is something you don't really see every every uh, now and then I don't think there's an inception without a matrix. Yeah. I, I think even when it, it when you're talking about its influence, maybe even non-direct ways, how it's brought up some filmmakers. And frankly, you know, Keanu Reeves, everyone kind of gives him shit for that, that wooden delivery and everything, but he's perfect as Thomas Anderson, who is this kind of cog in a greater machine who was also Jesus and also a Kung Fu master. Like that's the perfect blank slate you want for that. And you just let Lawrence Fishburne be cool. You let um, Trinity just be like so badass and spawn so many cool female Halloween costumes ever since. It's just, it's just the best. I love the matrix. I'm going to rewatch the matrix tonight and it'll be the <laughs> thousandth time I've seen it. And my cap will still pe be peeled back. Every time I watch that, I'm blown away by how well it's aged. It's so it's good. Like yeah. effects stand up, action stands up. You know, uh, so many people in that went on to have huge, amazing, very impressive careers. Just everything about it is, is, is impressive. You took the matrix. That's the only Matrix movie I've seen. <laughs> That's your fault. That is indeed your fault. Um, speed. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time last year, and they released it on like 4K, and I watched it, and I really didn't know it. I knew the basic premise and all that. I could not fucking believe how good that movie is. Like, it, There's a bomb on this bus. It just rips. Like you think it'd be so corny or whatever, but Put like that has... on the speed poster, it just rips. It does. Hey, Donder. Comicbook.com. Anytime you have Dennis Hopper as a bad guy, like you're in good hands. He's really good in that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say like like the last 20 minutes of that movie when like the bus stops becoming a factor is probably like the weaker part of the movie. But they then escalate to a train. So like whatever. Uh, that that movie's just fucking awesome. He's good in it. Like that's that's where you know I think part of like his action career probably started. If I can really. No, point, think, break point break yeah sorry um but uh, i just appreciate too how goddamn good looking he is in that movie mm -hmm. he's so good looking dude the, one of the, my favorite youtube holes to go down are women on talk shows talking about how much they love him and basically <laughs> every co-star he's ever had if you watch them on like a talk show their eyes glaze over and they're just like oh keanu Reeves, like sandra bullock and i am paraphrasing here but this is basically what she told ellen i think she was like i was trying to fuck 
bad. <laughs> that is essentially what she was saying. I promise you, you, you looked that up. That was the subtext of what he she was saying. He went on Ellen after that, and Ellen was like, did you know Sandra Bullock had a crush on you? He's like, I had a crush on her, but I never thought she liked me like that. We were just friends and co-stars, so I never made a move. And then he's like, ah, oh, missed opportunities. Do you think Keanu puts out? Well, Keanu's well he's been married for a minute, I think, yeah. right? Or had like a long-term relationship. All right, so speed, Cade. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's just uh, the, one of my favorite parts of that movie is also when they're at like the airport. And I think they're like going around, like kind of in a circle or whatever to keep the speed going or whatever. And he has to like get on like a scooter of some kind and like yep. get underneath the bus and like is being dr- oh, th- that movie. Why don't we have action movies like that anymore? It's we so do. Good. Plane just came out. <laughs> I guess, but like it's it's just not I, as good. It's, it's just, just not, not as, as good. good. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. It doesn't have that level of it, it's the same concepts like high concept isn't the right word but um you know whatever no Uh, simplicity of concept this is what is a dying art the elevator pitch film where you could explain it in a sentence to some student be like fuck i hard on a bus that that was the uh the 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 synthesization of that like pitch and as you guys will hear in my yellow jackets chat on this podcast i tell them we talk about how that show opening have you both seen the show? Yeah, Yellow Jackets also rich. I have not. Oh. Oh, kid, you'd like it. I know. Oh, it's, it's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> so the first scene is of like a group of what you could tell are teenage girls hunting a pier for sport in the middle of the woods. And that is like a, and that is like an elevator pitch opening scene, right? You're hooked just from that point. So speed was like guy on a bus can't slow down because if it does, it'll explode. That is all you fucking needed now. And this is sort of a general conversation of why I think films like everything ever all at once or scream or top gun, or what's the one that just did well this past year, not scream. Oh, didn't like plane do pretty well. I I think that this resurgence in sort of non IP blockbuster filmmaking top gun is ip technically but like right i think that that is a desire for people to not have to watch 15 movies and seven shows like under- if speed came out today we would need to know like we need to have a gritty origin story for the fucking assembly line where the bus was put together yeah it's like oh but why has this villain decided to blow up planes let's dive into his childhood you know like i don't need that fucking shit so i think that that is a dying art and i think that that's why speed is so timeless yeah that movie it rips. It rips. It really does. All right. So, Kate, um, you get two now, pal. Going back to back. I don't want to cheat and throw in a video game. That's okay. I love creativity in drafts. I think Cyberpunk 2077, for as many problems as that game has, Keanu Reeves is fucking awesome in that. Have you guys played it? No, I was super psyched for it, but it's just disastrous rollout to me. It's one of the most like famously disappointing video game launches that that and like No Man's Sky. It's really unfortunate. It has made a big comeback. They've fixed a lot of the problems, which is great to see. Um, And that it makes it easier to put this on the list. I think Cyberpunk 2077 because uh, Keanu Reeves plays this hard rock, like rock star guy with a rope like a metal arm who's also a terrorist who lives inside your brain and he's like the (laughs) tyler durden of the cyberpunk universe where he's like come on let's go blow shit up and you're like 
dude, Keanu. His name is Johnny Silverhand, which is just a great fucking name too. That is a great name. Yeah, um, he's been Johnny Utah. He's been Neo. He's, he's just the cool Shane Falco, the cool John Wick, the coolest movie. His name is awesome. His name is Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yes. Like, this guy cannot have a bad name ever. And just like the way you're introduced, to this guy is like you, when you first really get to like you get to play as him a couple times in the game, and you you are at this like rock concert, and you're singing on stage, doing guitar, and then you go backstage. And I think you have sex with some girl, and then you get on a helicopter and go to a, like a big building, and then just kill everyone inside of it to blow up the building. And it's just like, yeah, this guy fucking rocks, and uh, <laughs> and and he just constantly shows up to be a oh dick. Or like push you around and just torture you. Like again, he's he's literally just Tyler Durden in this world. But the fact that he was able to, I mean, the character is like basically the main character of the story in a way, or the secondary character at least. And the fact that Keanu was willing to commit probably years of his life to going back and forth to Poland or wherever they did the motion capture and just play is so cool. Because a lot of actors, I think, are like, ah, I don't want to do that. I don't really like games, or I don't. I don't want to commit that much time. It's a whole process, but he's like, yeah, let's fucking rock. And uh, it's one of the best video game characters in recent memory, at least. All right. So we are now four picks down and not a single John Wick film has been taken. B, you're up next. I'm thinking that might change here, right? When, when does this podcast come out? Uh, Tomorrow. So Thursday, the 23rd. You you could take four if you want. You guys, because when, when, you go see this movie, you'll be like, oh yeah, that was the right pick. I'm going John Wick 4, which I think is my favorite of the franchise. I love one. I love one. I mean, I, I really like all of them, but I love one. But I've never, I leaned over in our screening to uh, to Eric, and I was like, after one sequence ends, I'm like, just so you know, that was a 30-minute action scene. <laughs> I have never seen a 30-minute action scene 20 minutes later in the movie, they start a second 30-minute action scene. <laughs> it's the coolest shit ever. It is so technically masterful. It was so creative in the conception of like, okay, what is this sequence going to be? How are we going to show people some sort of action, some sort of fight sequence that they've never seen before? And they continue to top themselves and be fresh about it. Like, I, I've seen every action movie, and I've seen things in these John Wick movies, and particularly John Wick 4, that I've never seen before ever. It's also the funniest John Wick movie by far, and it's also amazing that Keanu Reeves says, the, he's the least amount of dialogue in this movie for my money than, than any other John Wick, and yet it totally works. So I loved John Wick 4. I'm with Eric. I might have to go see it uh, again and, and pay for the ticket. It, it's just it just rocks guys if if speed rips this rocks and let, <laughs> let me, i love that let me just say um and this was the part of my chat with chad's oh, say, sorry 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 donnie yen okay closing argument oh yeah dude <laughs> any movie yeah, with dude. donnie yen rules seriously he's incredible scene stealer he's basically playing the same character that he was in rogue one except oh, just a bit slimier um exactly yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all right good. anyway um i was speaking to director chad stahelski oh and i cut this part out of the interview and i'll repost it um when the film comes out and i won't get into detail because of course i'm not trying to spoil but not only does john mcford grow the lore of the, of the world and the technical difficulty of the action scenes, but there's a moment towards the end that like was as emotional as I've seen since the first film. So it's still like getting back to its roots at the same time. So yes, John Wick 4 is as great as you've heard. Uh, I am now up. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you guys, because you've seen it. 
uh, and I know you shared this problem with me at least at one point in time. Me? John Wick 3, yeah, was way too long for me. I felt like yeah, so, it gets very exhausting and this one's even longer. So I'm so, curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, a three hour film regardless, and it's not quite three. It's always going to be tough for me, especially in a theater. Like I could, I'm better with that stuff at home um, just because I'm ADD as shit. But the structure of it is such that it's basically like three hour long movies that are centered around behemoth set pieces. So, and given the sort of simplicity of, john wick's personal arc and the story structure the pacing is smooth despite it the runtime nice good to hear yeah. it doesn't feel bloated in in my opinion at all good so good, good. i am now up since i am at the turn i get two i'm, I'm gonna take the matrix reloaded i don't need to sort of extrapolate on why i'm taking that i've talked about how i think it's underrated on this show quite a few times the last hour and a half is basically a entire set piece and it is fucking dope and that's why kate i'm literally like I, i'm at my wits end here with begging you to watch this movie um but it's then for my really well yeah and a three is a fucking train wreck do not get me wrong three is almost unwatchable but two is just a solid yeah action like i saw two in theaters hated it spent years hating it and then i've rewatched it like five times over the last 10 years i'm like this movie's pretty good yeah yeah and then so then for my third overall pick i actually so for me it was between john wick four and then what i'm going to take here john wick one and i was ultimately leaning towards john wick one because i remember when this was coming out it was my fifth year in college i remember like this movie saved keanu reeves's career he was doing a whole lot of nothing and I remember seeing it, and I've seen a viral tweet in the past few days that's pointed out that it didn't have a distributor until like two months before its release, and it almost went straight to DVD. And I remember at the time kind of thinking that, like, who is going to see a Keanu Reeves action film in the year? It didn't look good. Like, the trailers weren't great. Yeah. Oh, see, I should go back and watch that. Like, um, you'll be like, oh, this this looks like a generic straight-to-DVD exactly. action. Like a very Taken kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Taken was great. The first yeah. one was fucking sick, to be honest with you, but it seemed like it was the next of, of those long lines of of Taken like, ripoffs. Whereas the, whereas the Matrix has been parodied, Taken's become a punchline. Right, right, exactly. So, but then, yeah, as soon as you see that first fight scene, you're like, you know, short of the raid, you're like, this is the greatest hand-to-hand combat I've seen in Western cinema in my entire life. Like, you know, and the raid is Eastern cinema. So it's not even, you know, like from Jump Street, from that first scene, you're like, holy fucking shit. And then they, throughout the film, they tease out the world. I think the whole high table stuff has got a bit overbloated and they've got a bit up their ass with it. But I understand the need to develop a larger framework for a world if you're going to build out a franchise. I get that. But the first one in its simplicity, in its boilerplate throwback, this could take place in the 1950s or the 2010s. We have no idea. Of <laughs> a man. Anachronistic feel is so cool. Of a, uh, and you know, I have been watching the DVD commentaries and the attention to cinematography detail in these films are through the roof and the and I think for a large portion of the general audience they subliminally realize it whereas us film nerds we see it but I think that that's part of a reason that John Wick is where it is today too it just looks fucking great that first one looks beautiful so in terms of what it did for Keanu Reeves's career 
what it did for the franchise itself, what it did for action filmmaking in general, and sort of its its status as like, yeah, to me, one of the best American action films of all time. You know, we are not sitting here today having this chat if that film does not come out. Yeah, uh, I remember being in the same boat where I think the... <laughs> Beautiful uh, Sorry, kid. The late 2000s and early 2010s, I think Keanu Reeves was kind of losing his reputation, I think. And so it was easy to look at the first John Wick movie around the time it releases like, oh, he's in his like Bruce Willis era where he's just doing anything and it's just going to be some, you know, like totally perfectly fine, low budget action movie. And then you watch it and you're like, not only is it just very simple and easily manipulates your emotions with killing the dog to get you on his side and be like, everyone needs to die. Um, then you're <laughs> and, and, and breaking up his car and shit. You're just like, yeah, this is, this is so easy to follow and let's see what they can do in these action sequences. And then that, I think it's the first ones in his house when they like come in yep. and yep. he just does the craziest shit I've seen in a movie at that point in my life, I think where I was just like blown away all the flips throwing people through glass. Like, I think there's, I think it's in the first one where he's having the fight in the kitchen and he like uses his hand to like hammer the knife into the guy's chest. And that is breaks the guy's neck over his kitchen counter. Yes. What dude. It's just like, you're like, okay, we're in safe hands and I'll watch eight of these. Like just keep them coming. Um, yeah, that movie's awesome. All right, so B, this is your third pick, I think. There's there's still like a lot of good movies on the board, and I'm like, oh, do I do I try to see if this movie's there on my last pick? We're good, we're doing four, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, okay. I think I'm gonna go with Hardball here because Hardball, cool. You know, not a genre picture, much more restrained, much more personal. People, Dude, I don't even have this on my list. I've never even heard of this movie. It's a baseball You've movie. You've never heard of Hardball? Oh, is this the one where the kid dies? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just know that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going with Hardball because people have always liked to clown on uh, Keanu Reeves for for seemingly being a bad actor, as they perceive. I believe good acting is not is different than having range. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis can play yeah. any character. That's awesome, and he's obviously a great actor. But good acting is also defined by does uh do do they lend believability to the character in the scene in the moment does that scene and moment work in the context of the film and do you ultimately feel something about this character about you know this character in this plot and yes keanu reeves the reason why he's a movie star isn't because he's got this amazing range and he's a chameleonic actor like daniel day lewis it's because all of those things always happen with him you believe him he, he is emotional honesty within the context of that scene of that plot of that character and arguably hardball is his, is his most emotional film when he's giving the eulogy at g baby's funeral it is moving. It, everybody cries. That's the old, one of the ultimate dude cry movies. You got Hardball. You got Rudy. You know, you probably got a war movie in there somewhere because it's just, you know, a, a type of dad thing to do. I, I think, um, you know, when, when a movie is so small and it's about an inner city baseball team and a coach trying to get his life together, but it's so impactful and, and still reverberates today, like, that's great. No flashy tricks, no flashy genres, gimmicks. It's just a good story and an emotional, uh, honest film. And I, I really liked uh, Hardball. Let me just make a note about his dramatic chops. Um, in the John Wick 1 commentary, and I brought this up with 
Chad, in the scene where Keanu Reeves gets the note, gets the post-death note from his wife saying, mm-hmm. here's why I bought you this dog. And Wick really breaks down and starts crying. He brings his hands to his mouth. They had filmed a bunch of takes and Keanu asks, hey, for this take, can I turn it up to 11 here? And they let him. And that is the take that wound up in the film. So, nice. you know, this is a guy who, just as B said, it's not about good acting and a lot of acting are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, one of my favorite things is just like the way he delivers lines in John Wick. Like he's, these movies know what they are, you know, and he'll, he'll go up to fucking Lawrence Fisherman and be like, yeah, I uh, need a gun. And I'm just like, I can just repeat that all day long. Uh, I need a gun. And the <laughs> emphasis on gun. It's just like, it's like so like recognizable. And I think that's another sign of good acting when you're so like distinguished, even with just simple lines like that. Like, I think that's that's a sign. I, I just, am a little just, worried. I'm starting to think I made a bad pick because instead of talking about Hardball, we're talking about John Wick again. <laughs> Cade, your third and fourth, followed by Brandon's fourth, followed by my fourth. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, they just announced who's writing the next Star Wars movie. Uh, oh, or yeah? The dead, or there was a report. It's the guy who made Peaky Blinders is taking over for a night. Yes. What? Yeah, I think I think he we knew he had met with Lucasfilm about something. I think we had so. known that previously. All right, well, well he's doing well, the Damon well, Lindelof movie. I, honestly, like I like Peaky Bunnies. I like Stephen Knight. I've interviewed him, but once they got rid of Damon, like I, as I tweeted, it's like all this behind the scenes. I'm done. I'm fucking over it. Yep. <laughs> all right, um, I will fire off that tweet, Cade. You're on your fourth pick. All right, I'll take John Wick too for my uh john wick movie i already kind of said earlier john wick 3 is a little long for me i don't i don't think that's a bad movie by any means i think i'm just really tired and i can't really sit down and watch it uh more than once just because i think the problem with that film is the sort of moroccan detour that it takes yeah i think that's a big half an hour to the film that it really didn't need i think so too um and yeah that the movie just uh Again, not bad. It has amazing action when he fucking fights. Who's the basketball player that plays the big Russian guy? Holden. Yeah. Oh, that's him. amazing. When, amazing. When he shows up and he breaks his neck with a book. Fucking Wait, but that's awesome. three, Cade. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Oh, okay. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm, I'm giving the flowers to the three. Right. To, to three. But I think two is really good. It's a great follow-up. I think. Um, uh, so little story here. Uh, me and my dad really love the John Wick movies. My dad does not like anything really. Uh, I should say he doesn't like anything, but he's very neutral about everything. We go see a Marvel movie. I'm like, did you like it? He's like, yeah, it was all right. And then we go see John Wick. He buys the tickets to John Wick because he's so fucking excited. And he has theories after we leave John Wick. I remember we left John Wick too. And he's like, what do you think they're going to do with Common? What's his deal? Is he going to come back? And I'm like, dad, I've never heard you talk like this about a movie awesome. in my life. Um, but uh, people have been posting the clip of them walking through like that train station or whatever, and they're shooting the pistols at each other from the sides, the silence pistols. You got the payoff with the the pencil at the little bar just at the end of that sequence. Um, and everything in like Rome is super fucking cool when he's in like the catacombs and running for his life and just the bulletproof jacket. Everything about that movie is great. I think it is really well paced. And then just the setup at the end where he breaks the rules and then is in central park or wherever and he uh he's told you know like we're coming for you you know start running i'll give you a little head start and you just see everyone get the text and the phone call an all-time cliffhanger moment it's fucking amazing and you're just like 
I don't think I can wait multiple years for the next one of these. I think I need this now. And so I think that movie, I don't think John Wick 2 gets enough credit. I don't think anyone dislikes it or anything. I just don't think people talk about it enough as like, that is the perfect sequel to that first movie and really ups the stakes and antes, antes up the uh, scale and spectacle and the characters in the war. It's awesome. It rips. <laughs> All of these movies rip. There's a lot of yeah. ripping and rocking. All right. <laughs> See, your final choice, pal. Final choice. And I'm going with something near and dear to my heart. The replacements based on the Washington Commanders. I love that movie. In terms of sports movies, it is up there. It is, it's got humor. It's it's got miles and miles of heart, which is the famous Gene Hackman quote that I still quote to this day. Me and my brother will just look at each other from a from like across the room and go, why are they? He's why are they? Because of how great uh uh, uh that, that line is in that movie. Just just an awesome, awesome sports comedy action type film. And Shane Falco, man, just he was like he's like Taylor Heineke before Taylor Heineke. <laughs> B, you know he's not on your team now, right? You're going to need to get <laughs> I know, past him I at still, some point. I still love him, and he wrote a great Players Tribune goodbye today, which was which was really great. And the guy's just so easy to root yeah, for. Yeah, he, he's a gamer. Just long Classic story gamer. short. It was between the replacements and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure for me here. I, I absolutely love that movie. It, it's, you know, a seminal kind of stoner comedy, but the replacements is just so darn enjoyable as that, like, quintessential early 2000s, like, we don't we don't need like a, an IP or anything. We're just going to throw a bunch of funny cool people together. So, for my fourth choice, there's tons of things that I could take here. Somehow Point Break is still on the board. I just think that speaks to our age. I think if we were 35 that may have been taken by now. Uh there is The Devil's Advocate, which of course co-stars Al Pacino as Satan himself, Beelzebub. We've got this will be a shout out to my mom. Something's got to give. She loves that movie. That's with Wait. uh with Jack and Diane Keaton, right? Also, also just throwing out Destination Wedding is another good rom-com that he's in. I actually want to check that out. Okay, I saw a clip really of that good. on Twitter over the weekend. It looked hilarious. But I forgot to really mention good. my fourth pick. It's Point Break. I think that's... Wait, oh, did yeah, you... I just did John Wick too. Yeah. Oh. My bad. Oh, all right. Good. All right. So then Point Break <laughs> is off the board. Uh, there is his role in Always Be My Maybe, which is a hilarious... Keanu Reeves in Always Be My Maybe and Matthew McConaughey in Wolf of Wall Street. Best cameos of the last decade plus. Like, oh, wow. is, that, is that the one where he's crying at the table or whatever? Yes. That yes. I've never seen the movie, but every... I'm sorry. Dude, he's so <laughs> fucking funny in that movie. There's this scene it. where I've not seen it in a few years, but they're having like a like post-game drinks and some chicks, and he starts doing like the same way that Mac... Is and Always Sunny will do like air kung fu. He <laughs> starts doing that as well. And it's just like. And, and Kate, he plays a version of himself. He plays yeah. Keanu Reeves, which is, it's just such a good movie. And so with all that said, I am going to be taking Toy Story 4. I don't think it's better than Toy Story 3. However, the, the character of Keanu Reeves, of him being this sort of, mm-hmm. not only is he evil, Knievel-esque in conception, but in terms of semantics and pattern of speaking, he's very Elvis-esque and his like, huh, 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 yeah. I'm gonna, huh. and just something about it fucking cracks me up. And like Pixar to have the idea of like to cast Keanu Reeves as this outlandish action adventure character, him as always just being so down for these fun kind of roles. If you've ever seen the video of him recording his lines, yeah. it's just classic Keanu clearly just loving his job, loving his life. It's so enjoyable. 
Toy Story is perhaps the most iconic animation franchise of the last 30 years. Keanu now has a place in it as one of the standout sort of random characters. I've gotten my Matrix film. I've gotten my John Wick film. I've gotten my wild card that I really wanted. So for here, I'm just going to try to round out with Toy Story 4. To recap, I have uh, my number one overall pick was Constantine. My number two overall pick was The Matrix Reloaded. Number three overall was John Wick number one. And number four was Toy Story 4. B? The Matrix, John Wick 4, Hardball, and The Replacements. Cade? Uh, Speed, Cyberpunk 2077, John Wick 2, and uh, Point Break. Oh, pretty good, actually. This might be close. This is going to be a dogfight. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, my interview with the gentleman of Yellow Jackets, we've got Warren Cole, who plays Jeff, the husband, Steven Kruger, who plays Coach Ben, and Kevin Alves, who plays Travis. Today, I am joined by the gentleman of Yellow Jackets. We have from left to right, Steven Kruger, who plays Coach Ben, Warren Cole, who plays Jeff, and Kevin Alves, who plays Travis. Fellas, thank you so much for your time today, and congrats on season two. I actually just saw that season two debuted to a 100% rotten tomato yeah. score, back to back. Wow. Thank you so Excellent. much for having us. Thank you. You guys are on fire. I love this show. I tell people it's one of the most fun times I've ever had with the show. And I think that's because of how unique it is. So I'm curious sort of what your guys' perspective was when your agent pitched the show. So you guys could take turns. Or you could all sort of answer together whatever y'all want. So how did your agent pitch you this show? Try to remember back to that phone call or that meeting and your reaction to hearing, wait, so this is a show about a bunch of girls who do what? Stephen, you joined first, right? I, I love the image of the agent, our agents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah, yeah, entourage. Yeah, yeah, that's a, thing that, image. That's a thing that definitely happens all the time. It's usually a, usually a team of agents that are like, we have this thing to pitch you. They us all down a big conference yeah, table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like video chase style. Um, no, I think, I think yeah, I, I guess I joined on um, first before we had shot the the pilot. And I, I've told this story a couple of times, but I um, I had worked with, with Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson, the, the creators, before on a previous show. Um, and so I, I knew how talented they were as writers. Um, I knew what they were capable of, and I knew that they had a really distinctive style of writing. Um, they almost write scripts like people write novels, you know, where there's like, there's, there's, it's not just filled with dialogue. There's so much amazing just exposition in like the stage directions and and like developing the story that you really start to get a sense of what this world is and i just remember having the thought of like this is different from anything that i've read in a very very long time and it's it's so well done and so well created that uh obviously it's something i want to be a part of and i just feel like it's going to stand out amongst you know the incredibly oversaturated television market that we've had for the last for the last several years um it just it felt special mm. It felt confident, and, yeah. and it was interesting. And yeah, you, well, that oh, sorry, Warren, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you just and then you see who's interesting content attracts interesting talent, and there had already been a lot of interesting talent attached to it by the time it crossed my path. Are you talking about me? No, <laughs> no, right, I didn't think so. Yeah, I, was just, um, I was just making sure. So it's like, wow, you know, what's what's this? And that excites you as an actor, and. You know, you go and you throw your hat in the ring and, and you want to be a part of, you know, ideally of something compelling and something interesting. 
and a story that feels like it needs to be told by whoever put this thing together in a specific way, and it jumps off the page. And uh, I remember saying to my agent immediately, like, I, I really want this one. I really like this. I want to be a part of this team. Not, and then 17 auditions later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there like, we are. Uh, week yeah. after week of auditions. Yeah, I, I, when I read the pilot, I already knew who was attached to it. The pilot had already been shot. So oh, wow. I kind of, yeah, because I, I joined when the show was already picked up. And so the people excited me. But then the unapologetic characters is really what drew me to, to the script as well. Like the fact that these characters will do what they feel no matter the consequences a lot of the time and and based on their especially when you're in the wilderness at survival that was uh that was a pretty cool thing and uh and travis was somebody who wasn't like me in many ways so it was kind of fun to jump into it kevin one image that i have of you in my brain is you Mm. reading the script for episode nine and being like oh nice (laughs) nice and then getting towards a certain point being like no 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 i was like oh no um so you guys all kind of touched on this, and, I'm, and I ask this of all sorts of folks. I'm curious when an actor realizes that they're in something special. So you guys had an inkling that this would be good, but at what moment did it hit you like, like I'm in a cultural phenomenon. Like this is the type of show that this is going to be, and I'm in it. Uh, for me, it was when the first time we saw that we're, like the critics loved the show so much. Because you're nervous all the way up until mm-hmm. then. Like you're absolutely shaking all the way up until then. And then when we saw so many of you know, your, our peers in the industry love it so much, then you're like, wow, that's really kind of liberating mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like it was going to be, like, maybe this will be like a fringy darling show. Yeah. You know, at best. And that's cool. You know, there's a lot of street credit with that. But after watching the, pi- uh, the pilot, yeah, uh, season one, I was like, this is really good. They, they embroidered this all together really, really nicely. And, a lot of talent. Everybody was game, you could tell. And uh, fortunately, everybody kind of agreed. And it just built <laughs> its reputation organically. It, it reminds me of if, and I loved Lost, but it reminds me of if Lost had a plan. That's how much <laughs> I've really been enjoying the show. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So, yeah. um, I'm also curious. I, I like to sort of put... The people on my side in your shoes. So you're reading that season one script for the first time, right? What moment, whether it be your character or in general, that made you say, what the fuck, out loud? Uh, I think mine was pretty early. I think the I think <laughs> I think my leg getting cut off and like mm. he, I, like seeing it described as spaghetti leg. Um, I was like, oh, we are real, like, we're really fucking going for this. Like, they are really not holding back. And then, sure enough, when I saw it in person, I'm like, that is what a spaghetti leg would look like. I had never actually envisioned it. Um, I hoped that I would never have to think about something like that, but there it was, yeah. like, front and center, right at the beginning. Yeah. Well, really, the teaser to the pilot. Where yeah. The, the girl falls into the deadfall, yeah. and, you know, it's chow time. Okay. <laughs> this is the world we're gonna start. We're gonna start here. Okay. I also do. That remember was such the... a smart way to frame the whole show, too. I think that set the tone for the entire thing to start there because you are immediately hooked yeah. on what the hell is going on, and you cannot put the show down until yeah. you learn. Yeah. Yeah. No. For me, I, 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 before I'd seen anything, the first audition I had is the scene that I turned the gun on Natalie's face. Mm, yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is this is messed up. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> so I I am curious. Um, you know, you guys said that the, how well the show was embroidered, and the creator have said creators have said that they have a plan mapped out. Are you guys? Do you have map? Do you have knowledge of your character that extends beyond this season? And does that impact your performance at all? Or are you basically just as much in the dark as we are? I try to know what my character knows. And, yeah, okay. and beg for that information if it's available. But if my character doesn't know it, I don't, you know, don't need that info. I'm actually the opposite. I, I actually like to know. I like to know more than than my mm. character, just so that, yeah. just so that, like, a, as an actor, I can kind of, you know, like at, at the beginning of a season. I mean, to answer your question, it, it, it's flat. No, I mean, we don't, we don't. As far as I know, I don't know if you, I'm assuming you guys are the same, but I. They don't. They don't give us really anything beyond what we kind of need to know in the moment. And they are really good about you know at the beginning of a season, if you say, hey, you know, where are you going with with this character this season, just so that I can kind of map this out and, and plan and, and arc for for myself and my character. Um, they're really great about that. But beyond like the season that we're working on, I mean, we don't get any information. Like I'm not sure any of us have any clue where where this is going beyond this season. You can corner a writer. And maybe squeeze something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, once, yeah, in once, oh, once in a while. Once in a while. I'm not even trying to, you know, snag plot plot details. I, I I was just struck how you guys, I mean, particularly Warren and Steven, you guys have expanded roles in season two. So I was curious if you have that knowledge of where your character is going and if that impact like Steven, you were you playing your character with the knowledge of he's not only stranded in the woods, but he was on his like he, he is hiding the fact that he's gay. He was on his way to meet his lover. So you have all that. And that's being worked into how you're playing the role. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially especially in season one, that was the, the those were like major plot points. And that's kind of what I'm talking about, right? Where it's like, you know, a, as an actor, I think that's a that's a, a thing that I really enjoy doing where it's like, I know that there's going to be reveals. I know that there's going to be major character points that are brought out later in the season. But you want to start planting little seeds of that and working that into your character so that it's not, you know, people can go back and say, oh, you know what, there was that little moment that, like, kind of revealed that, but I wasn't quite sure what it was at the time. And, you know, it's fun to look back at those little Easter eggs that, that you leave behind. Let me just give you a quick prop. I, 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 I'm I not sure if the moment is meant to be played for laughs, but it got a laugh out of me when you are on shrooms and you tell, oh, God, what's the character, the girl who's obsessed with you? Is oh, it Misty. 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 Yeah. You're like... I'm gay, Misty. You hear that, Tom? And yeah. just like the way that you played so that was funny. obviously it's a very deep character moment, but the comedy of it is he's high as hell on shrooms, yeah. screaming to the stars. And he's been, this is probably something he's been wanting to say out loud for a very, very long time. And you know, not that I know how you feel on shrooms or anything, but I would assume that it kind of gives you uh, a, a bit of a freedom. You know, kind of yeah, takes, very, a, takes away some inhibitions. So, uh, so yeah, yeah you that just actually, felt. You replied to my tweet through a mutual acquaintance, Cass, and Cass Anderson. Yeah, yeah, he's my he's boss. Like, oh yeah, he's like best friends with my brother. We grew up yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, small, small world. I know, and that's part of how I got onto the show. He's like, dude, you got to check out this show. Oh, I it's amazing. Crazy. Yeah. So, um, none of us have done shrooms, of course. Let's just start there. But the way in which both the actors and the technical department portrayed the effects were what I would imagine to be pretty close. So I just want to ask you guys about your general experiences shooting that day, because I imagine that that was probably one of the wilder episodes to shoot. Anything pop in any of your guys' heads at 
at all. Kev, you had a nice Yeah, you were in the thick of it, I mean, I imagine. really in the thick of it. We always had a question, so with the writers and director Daisy, we had this question of, like, at what point does it kick in? Is it before he's with Jackie, in the middle of being with Jackie, at the end? And we kind of played with it a little bit, and it it was it was it was fun to kind of figure it out and and but then once we're in the stuff with with the whole cast all together it was like the stuff that we had planned of what he could see it was the scariest thing in the world yeah yeah it was cool that's yeah. another one that like I think I think as we read that script we were like is this gonna is this gonna play is like this okay? is this actually gonna translate because like that's hard like you said it's hard to pull off right a lot of times you yeah. see like like drug and drug induced scenes or like alcohol induced scenes and you're like oh it's like a little cringe you know it just doesn't quite work and so I think I mean this was such a major plot point in the season and the episode that we were like man I hope this translates like I hope this reads well on screen and I mean it exceeded my wildest expect- expectations I was like they actually I've... they actually nailed this. I've got to wrap here, Stephen. Just quick to that point: the fact that you're the first one to realize, but you're you're not like, oh, I've been drugged. Like, oh, I've been poisoned again. I'm sick of this fucking happening to me. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Appreciate it. Congrats on this show. It's an absolute blast, and I would watch it forever. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, thank you to the fellows of the cast of Yellow Jacket Season 2 comes back this Sunday, the 26th. One of my favorite shows on TV. I've really had as much fun watching TV as I do watching that show. I interviewed the John Wick director, Chad Stahelski. That is over on the podcast feed as well. I published that a day or two ago. You could also find it on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash brobible. Make sure to follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder and all of his work at comicbook.com. Follow Brandon at Great underscore Catsby and all of his work at Parrot Analytics. Myself at Eric Italiano and the podcast Postcred Pod. Leave us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We will be back next week talking in depth about John Wick for the greatest American action film since Mad Max Fury Road. Talk to you all next week. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.